This week at Hope Point. One day God will open the books and He's going to read back to you everything your body ever did. Every word that left your mouth, give account for that. All of it's in the books. Everything you valued or everything you didn't value in the books. And he's going to compare it with his righteous standard of holiness and the righteous life of Jesus Christ. That's the standard that you're going to be compared by. And he says, all of it will produce a guilty verdict. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. Many of us have watched uh, courtroom proceedings sometimes on TV. May have been a real trial, may have been uh, a documentary of a real trial, but of course a lot of us have been in court, pay a traffic ticket or have to go there for some reason, jury duty. And, but you just know the feeling, it's intimidating inside a courtroom. Judge walks in and everybody's silent and no one's gonna say anything or do anything unless that judge says it's permitted. So it's a very intimidating place. So today we're going to focus our attention on the most intimidating courtroom in all of history. And that is the courtroom of God on the day of judgment when we will all stand in his courtroom and hear his sentence upon our life. You know, last week you were extraordinarily patient as we uh, worked through a passage that was complex, hard for me, hard for you, and... That was at the beginning of chapter 20, and now we go to the end of chapter 20, it's exactly the opposite. No confusion, nothing difficult. In fact, if if you have a conscience left, what we're going to talk about today is so clear that the only response is not confusion, but trembling. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, all of us have looked at events in the world. At the time, we say, I don't want to go. Husbands will tell their wife, do we have to go to that wedding? Children, do I have to go to school? And um, a lot of times, the, you know, you, the, you, you can get out of it. Uh, if you're sick, uh, court's canceled or uh, complain enough, you don't have to go. But here's an event, the judgment of God, the white throne of the Lord to judge every person in the world, every person in this room, in this city, state, nation, and all 6,000 years prior. No one will escape that event. And it's the most frightening event in all the world. It doesn't have to be. But because of the choices that our people are making on this earth while they're still alive, it will be the most frightening event they have ever encountered. Jack Hibbs, Pastor Jack Hibbs says it this way, on that day there will be a courtroom 
but no jury, a prosecutor, but no public defender, a sentence, but no chance for appeal. Now, before we look at this particular uh, judgment in, in Revelation chapter 20, I just want you to know that the concept of the judgment of God is, is not unique to the book of Revelation. Sometimes people say, I'm scared to read the book of Revelation because it's about judgment. Well, judgment, I can't say that it is on every page of the Bible, but close. There are warnings about judgment throughout the scripture. And <clears throat> all of those words are written out of the heart, the loving heart of God to persuade us to run to him to seek safety while there is still time and not to seek satisfaction in this world where there is no safety from his judgment. Interestingly, uh, the majority of the words about hell and judgment in the New Testament were given by Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus said, we're not to be a fearful people. Uh, we're not to be afraid of what people can say about you, what they can do to you or take from you. You're to be afraid of the God who can sentence you by his authority to hell. Jesus talked about judgment, uh, about one out of every six words, it is amazing the most tender lips that have ever spoken on behalf of God, those same lips told us more about hell than any other New Testament writer. Jesus described hell as a place of eternal fire, conscious torment, unending sorrow, and darkness. And those are all the, or some of the passages in the Gospels, you know, the red letters where we're quoting Jesus where he specifically was speaking and nobody was speaking about what he was saying. And Jesus taught us a great deal about hell for one purpose, so that you would be able to be from it, freed from it. In other words, he creates enough fear that you would hunger for the comfort. Uh, the, um, if anybody knew how horrible hell is, it would be Jesus. He is the eternal son of God, the eternal word of God, the eternal power of God. He's existed in perfect equality with God for all of eternity. He's seen the wrath of God poured out throughout history. He knows what the wrath of God is like, especially in his own death. Here he was, the son of God, perfect as a man, but when he volunteered to die for our sins on the cross, the father cast all of the wrath of God on the son of God and it killed him. No one knows the wrath of God like Christ. And he's writing us to free us from it. Jesus gives us a Bible that speaks much about the judgment of God so that we will not trifle with eternity, that we will not play games with our eternal destiny. Now, a lot of times when people hear a message like this, they say, um, I... Messages like that, I don't like hearing, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, me too. My preaching professor used to say, if you ever enjoy preaching on judgment, that's the day to retire. Nobody likes this. Second thing people say is, I don't think it's appropriate to motivate somebody to consider their relationship with God based on the fear of hell. 
Well, you, you would just have to take that argument up with God because he's the one that saturated the scripture with just this kind of talk. And the, really the only way you can preach through the book of Revelation and much of the Bible and not talk about judgment is to just dismiss those passages. And there are a lot of ego-driven, man-fearing, money-seeking pastors who would do just that. They just would love themselves more than the people they preach to. Well, I love you more than I love what you think of me. I want you to know about all that God says about hell so that you will say no. I don't want to go to hell. Second thing you need to know when people say it's not a good motivation, you need to understand that when you look at you know, hell, especially in the book of Revelation versus heaven in Revelation, it's just like 10 to one talk about heaven. The whole book is about comfort and ever so often there's a little sprinkled in, they're graphic for sure, warnings about hell. But if you wanna know the heart of God, he's trying to lure you by the heaven talk. So, so heaven is real and the Bible speaks about it to drive you to God. Hell is real and the Bible speaks about it to drive you to God. In fact, you know, you look in, a few verses about hell and Revelation, and then look like chapter 20 where we are today. And then all of chapters 21 and 22, sort of our reward for being together for two years in this study is we get to talk about the new heavens and the new earth for two whole chapters. And, you know, the reason why God wrote elaborately and lengthy in chapters 21 and 22 is to tell you there is more pleasure and more laughter in heaven than you could ever imagine. And then he writes Revelation 20 to tell you there is more sorrow and more regret in hell than you could ever imagine. So with that said, let's look at the ultimate courtroom of history in Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. You see, the word white in Revelation speaks of God's eternal majesty, primarily his purity. You read this verse and you think about that little section in Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, which is the Old Testament version of Revelation, God described again in judgment. Chapter seven, verse nine, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and the court was seated and the books were opened. Same scene that we have here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, except here we have a little additional phrase beginning with the second verse. Second sentence, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. So I've told you before that Revelation makes use of what's called apocalyptic literature, uh, graphic, wild use of symbols, where the symbols are really not the, the focus of you should get your attention. The symbols point you to a reality that's greater than the symbol. So here when we talk about earth and sky fleeing from the holiness of God on the day of judgment, you know, a lot of times, if you're a literalist, you say, well, you know, you got to read it just like you wrote it. No, 
that people are thinking that one day Lake Kiwi is going to develop legs and run away. But it's poetic language to talk about God is so mighty that nothing can be in his presence. And so you look at the bottom of my slide here in 2 Peter 3, what these verses are really talking about is at the time when God judges mankind, at that same time that we saw last week, that's when he also destroys this universe. That's what these verses were talking about. Because I've heard Revelation preached all my life where you know, people are, are talking about the end of times and all sorts of wild things happening in history with the sun and the moon and the stars. And I just want you to know that Revelation chapter 20 and Revelation chapter 6 are talking about the same thing. Have I mentioned yet that Revelation tells the story of Christian history and the end of the world repeatedly? So when you come to chapter 6 and chapter 20, you've already seen chapter 20. You've already seen um, cataclysmic disturbances in uh, space and in the earth. You saw them in chapter 6. You saw them in chapter 20. This is all a description of not something that's going to happen on earth before Christ returns. It happens at the judgment. God judges the world at the same time he, he destroys the universe. So here's how the order looks in chapter 6 and 20. Persecution comes to the church. What are you, you going to do to God in, in response to people just destroying your people? And in both chapters, God says, I'm going to judge the world and I'm going to destroy the universe. So we saw it in chapter 6. This is what it looked like in chapter 6. The sun turned black. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. And again, I grew up hearing people talk in Revelation. This is going to happen one day. You're going to go outside and the sun will, will be black. It's not going to be shining anymore. This moon, stars fall. Let me tell you, the day the sun goes out, if that happened in Revelation 6, there is no Revelation 7 through 22. When the sun goes away, we go away. So that's not like a last, last day's prophecy that the sun is going to turn black. All of that is talking about the same thing. The world has come to an end because God, God destroyed it. That's what we see. Revelation 6 and 20, both of them talk about the earth and the sky being destroyed. That's why when we come back to Revelation 21 and 22, it's a new heaven and new earth. Why? Because the other one just got destroyed. It's not the end times. It's not something that happens on this earth. The day of judgment, God judges the world and destroys the universe. And look, <clears throat> just to see the, diff this, the, the same story being told over and over again, Revelation 20 talks about who's going to be there. Who's going to be before the throne of God. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. These people were also described in Revelation 6. Then the kings of the earth, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free. Who's that? That's the great and small. So Revelation 6 is talking about the day of judgment. And 
Revelation 20 is talking about the day of judgment. Now, why, did I, why do I want to compare these two? Because I want you to understand the terror that's going to happen to people in their hearts when they realize this is happening as they stand before the Lord. That terror was perfectly described in chapter 6. Everyone hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? This is not talking about something that's happening on earth. This is the same thing as Revelation 20. People standing before God and realize they're unprepared and they're in terror trying to run away from God in his courtroom. And they ask the, the question of all questions at the end of chapter, or verse 17, who can stand this time? Who can stand up under it? Chapter seven, again, tells us about the end of history. Who's able to be there? The answer is everyone who's trusted in the blood of Christ. They ask the question, chapter six, chapter seven gives the answer. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, safe. These are they who've come out of the great tribulation, just like we said. They were the ones who just died for Christ. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They love Jesus. They love his blood shed for their sins. Never again will they hunger, for the Lamb at the center of their throne of the throne will be their shepherd. So this is telling us you don't have to be afraid of that day because we already know how it will end. Revelation 7, who can stand? People who've had their lives washed in the blood of Christ can stand when the wrath of Christ is poured out. But everybody else is going to tremble in fear. And here's where the courtroom scene of Revelation 20, back to 20, is traumatic. And I saw, verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So you get to this scene, Revelation 6 and 20, same thing, terror, people standing before God. Why? Because two books are open now. There's a book of life that we'll talk about in just a minute. It's where you want to be. It's a book that records names important. Then there's a, another book, set of books that records deeds. Every single thing you've ever done are in those books, and you'll be judged by one of those books. And people realize here, this is why the terror of Revelation 6, they realize they're being judged by the books. Now, before we're going to look at what is inside those books, I just want to emphasize once again who is in this courtroom, and it is everybody. Look at that. Dead, great, and small, standing before the throne. Everybody in this room will be there. Everybody out there, church, unchurched, interest, not interest, everybody is there. Romans 14, 11. As surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're all going to be there in God's courtroom. His judgment, and we're going to, we'll give an account individually. 
God created you individually, you will give an account individually of what you've done with your life. His judgment is not going to occur in groups like families. Oh, the Davis family, come on down. Smith family, come on down. One by one, you and God in his courtroom give an account. Revelation 20, verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. It's going to be billions of people in that courtroom. And since God is not bound by time like we are, he's got all the time in the world for all of these proceedings to take place until your name is called. You probably have been to high school graduations or college graduations when as soon as you sat down and you saw those 1,200 students and you go, oh, this is going to be a long day. (laughs) Sure enough, though, one by one, that whole crowd gets called onto the stage. This is what's going to happen on the day of judgment, how it will look in God's courtroom, how billions of people will be processed. I don't know, but I will tell you this. There is no place to hide among the billions of people, no matter how long it takes, And where you find your place behind 20 20 centuries of people, there's going to come a time when all of a sudden the name that I will hear is now before the throne of God is Richard Walden Smith. You won't be there. My wife won't be there. My grandson won't be there. Nobody can defend me. Just me or just God and me. Everyone stands before God. You can understand now the fear of the passage in Revelation 6 where they were afraid of the judgment that was now upon them. They were in the presence of the Lord. These people are not afraid of falling sun, moon, and stars. They're afraid of what's in those books because they had rejected Christ. And so they'll have to be judged by the books You know, one of the most difficult movies I've ever watched in my life is uh, a movie called The Perfect Storm. You probably remember it. It's the story of the Andrea Gale, the sinking of the Andrea Gale. Uh, And the, uh, I think the actors, Clooney, Wahlberg. And even though it was Hollywood, you know, done up, the whole thing was about a boat caught in a fierce storm. And in that movie, which is so hard to watch, you, you can watch, you can Google just that monster movie scene in The Perfect Storm. They, they had made it through all sorts of waves and they face one more wave and that their shrimp fishing vessel tries to climb that wave and the looks on their faces when they know they are not going to make it. That's the look on the people's faces in Revelation chapter 20. Our date with destiny in his courtroom is inevitable and the books will be opened. And that's where all the evidence is for unbelievers. Revelation 20, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And anybody's name who's not, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The most important thing that can be said about you is your name in the book of life. It's your only hope on the day of judgment. 
We're given a little more clarification about the book of life in earlier in the book, Revelation 17, verse 8, the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So this is a book that belongs to Jesus and those who belong to him. Uh, it speaks about Jesus as a lamb, a blood sacrifice that was made for us. God planned to sacrifice him before the world began. Your name is either in that book or not based on your love, your adoration of Jesus Christ. So the names of true followers of Christ are in the Lamb's book of, of life. If you do not worship Jesus Christ as Savior of the world, thoughts of him do not create adoration, devotion, awe, and great effect on every part of your life. Your name is not in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And there's the destiny. Anybody's name's not there is thrown into the lake of fire. A lot of people ask, is that literal fire? Since, you know, Revelation has so many symbols. And there's lots of debate about that. And part of the debate is, in that lake of fire, the uh, devil is thrown, uh, and he's not a physical being. Uh, the beast and the false prophet are thrown, and they're, they're spiritual beings as well. So can a uh, spiritual being suffer in a physical fire? People say, no, it must not be physical. I, I'm not smart enough to sort all that. All I can tell you is that when Jesus talked about hell, repeatedly he talked about fire, either because it's literal fire or because it's something worse than fire, and fire was something that everybody could relate to. So again, in a book that's highly symbolic, if it's not fire, it's something worse than fire. I don't want to go to either one of those. And every verse in Revelation is written for the purpose of pleading with you to come to Christ, turn from sin so that you'll be saved from fire and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And people ask, how do I know? What if, what if, what if he rejects me? Listen, the entire book, all the New Testament, especially Revelation, is written to persuade you, to call you, God is not going to turn anybody away that responds to his call. Jesus has already said that in an earlier book that John wrote for us in John chapter 6. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. For in my, it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, the book of life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So the book of life contains the names of everybody who adores Jesus Christ, believes the Son of God shed his blood for you. You believe that your name is in the book of life. I love how one writer said it. The Lamb's book of life contains the names not of deserving people, but of believing people. So from the creation of the world, the Father's will is to save anybody who looks to Christ. And even though that's so clear in the book of John, in the book of Revelation, the majority of the people in the world today do not believe, do not contemplate whether their name is in the book of life. They don't think about it. They think they're just good enough. You can ask them. 
Are you good enough for eternal reward? Yes, I've done good. So there's no reliance on Christ by the majority of the world. No longing to come to church to hear him preached and to sing about him. Dependency is only on themselves, not on Jesus. And for those people, they'll be judged by another book. You reject Christ and there's another book you'll be judged by. The books. Revelation 20, the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. When the Bible says that the sea and the death, Hades gave up the dead, it's just a reminder that the unbelieving dead have been held in some way up till now and they will be brought back to life in order to stand before God in judgment. And Jesus is the one who first told us about this, not in Revelation, but in his gospel teaching. John 5, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So when Jesus returns at the second coming, he will give life to everyone's bodies that have died. How he does it, we cannot imagine, but he will assemble every cell, every molecule, every uh, sinew, uh, every ligament, every muscle, bone, uh, every organ, and all of our skin and put it back together in order to give us our bodies back so that when we stand before the Lord, he can judge us based on what we did in and with this body. And when we're in that courtroom, the evidence that God uses is going to be the record of your life that's in his books. So if you say, I want God to judge me by the quality of my life, then he will. You say, what? Is, does, does God judge some people based on works? Yes, that's Bible 101. Look, Romans chapter 2. Verse six, God will repay each person according to what they have done. And gets a little bit, even might say more encouraging than that in verse seven. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. And some people read that verse and say, yippee yay 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 it's looking very good for me. Until you finish reading the book of Romans and to get to chapter three, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. But rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So for everyone who says, God, God, I want you to judge me by, by the books, he said, I will. And for everyone who is relying on that, On the day you stand before me, God says, I'll declare you guilty. He's already told us that. You know, when you're in a courtroom and the judge says guilty, do you know that nothing that's said after that matters? There's not going to be a whole lot said after that anyway, but nothing matters once the judge says guilty. I want you to think about that day you might have spent your entire life defending yourself 
You might have spent your entire life surrounding with people who will affirm your lifestyle, say you're a good person. They might even quote that song that used to be popular, you are beautiful just the way you are. And you just eat that up. That's why they're your friends, because they affirm you to live like you are living. You are good enough. You post something on social media and 100 people or 500 people like it. That just feeds you, doesn't it? They like me. (laughs) They like me. None of that matters when you stand before the Lord because the only thing that matters is what is in those books. About your life. Found those again. Look at that. The dead were judged by the books. One day, God will open the books and He's going to read back to you everything your body ever did, every word that left your mouth. You give account for that. Every thought that ever dwelled in your mind and even the motives of your heart when you did something. All of it's in the books. Everything you valued or everything you didn't value in the books. And he's going to compare it with his righteous standard of holiness and The righteous life of Jesus Christ. That's the standard that you're going to be compared by. And he says, all of it will produce a guilty verdict. And most importantly, he's going to show you every single time you were in the presence of either a preacher or a friend that tried to share the gospel with you and you did not think anything of Christ You belittled the story of his cross and his resurrection, the need to be cleansed by his blood. You ignored it, belittled it. And he's going to remind you every single time that you said his son's blood was minimal or nothing. And then that's when the sentencing phase begins in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is... The second death, anybody whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So everybody, we said this last week, everybody has to die once. Physical death, we're all headed there. Everybody has to die a physical death. But those whose lives were judged by the books and heard guilty from the Lord, they will die a second death. What that means is they will die an eternal death. That means that there is now no chance for the verdict of God to be overturned because this is an eternal death. Up till now, like right now, everybody's living. You have the chance right now to have all of your past forgiven, all of your record clean, and to have your name transferred out of the books into the book of the Lamb's book of life. But once God says guilty, when you stand before him on judgment, It's too late. You will enter into the second death, which is the lake of fire. 
Today, as we close, I want you to imagine yourself standing before a perfectly holy God, and you're going to give an account to him of your life. Now you can understand the terror of Revelation chapter 6. So there you are standing before the Lord. And the best message I can tell you today is the teaching of the gospel is God has made a way for you to be able to stand before the great white throne of judgment in heaven and hear God say to you, not guilty. All you got to find that answer is to keep reading in the book of Romans. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified. Maybe need to elaborate on that word. All are declared not guilty. Legal words, what it means. All are justified, declared not guilty by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. When God says he's going to declare you not guilty, it doesn't mean that he uh, would say you have never brought guilt into your body by things you've said, done, thought. What he's saying is every trace of guilt that you ever brought into your body, when you believed on the blood of Christ, it was transferred onto his body on the cross. And God said, in my holy law, when I executed my wrath on my son, you, your sin was transferred and you truly are not guilty. <laughs> the judgment of God is coming. Everybody will give an account of their life to God. You're going to either hear guilty or not guilty. If you've placed your trust in your performance, then you'll boast of things about your goodness. You'll think highly of yourself. You'll think much of yourself. But if you believe the scripture, that Christ died for you, then the greatest treasure in your heart and the most pressing thought in your mind will be the blood of Christ. And the thing that you adore most in life is that Jesus Christ died for you so that you could be declared not guilty. If that is true of your life, then your name is in the book of life. We're all gonna be judged one of two ways. We're either gonna be judged, we'll stand before God, you're either gonna be judged by your works or you're gonna be justified by your faith. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.